Hi, I'm Neha Gandhi, COO of Girlboss, and your host for this week's episode of Girlboss Radio. We're going to be talking to Senator Kirsten Gillibrand in just a minute. But first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Unique Vintage. Unique Vintage was founded by a woman for women in celebration of the iconic fashion of past design that's going to help you find your own style in today's world. From a wide array of beautiful maxi dresses, to skirts and t-shirts, to shoes, and even accessories and swimwear, UniqueVintage.com's fully inclusive line empowers a fashion risk taker in all of us. Unique Vintage was founded by a woman for women in celebration of the unique styles of the past, and it's meant to really help you embrace who you are in today's world. I recently made my first purchases on Unique Vintage, and I loved the wide array of options from a series of different genres and decades, and I was really able to find two dresses that felt great. I wore them to the office, I wore them out at night, and I really felt like they were the ideal way for me to transition into this very warm summer weather that we're having in Los Angeles right now. Whether you're headed to a pool party or to a barbecue, uniquevintage.com has a look that is going to fit where you're going. I also love that Unique Vintage has a full range of sizes. So often vintage shopping can feel really limiting by size, but Unique Vintage offers everything from extra small to 5X. And Unique Vintage's offerings feel high quality and affordable, which is a really nice combination. Check out uniquevintage.com today for 20% off your first order by using promo code GIRLBOSS. That's uniquevintage.com with promo code GIRLBOSS for 20% off your first purchase. I'm sure you're well aware that we are in the midst of a campaign season like no other. The Democratic field for presidential candidates is incredibly crowded. And it can be hard to focus on what's going on. There is so much news coming out of each campaign that it's easy to feel fatigued. But there's a lot at stake here. And the good news is there's still plenty of time for all of us to learn about each of these candidates and what they're proposing in terms of policy. And that's why I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York. It's Girlboss's first interview with a 2020 presidential candidate. And it's a great one. We can't wait to bring you access to as many candidates as possible so you feel like you're getting all the information you need to make a really informed choice when you show up to vote. But to start us off, I want to tell you a little bit about Senator Gillibrand. She was born and raised in New York and comes from a family of amazing women who shaped politics and their local communities. She began her career as a lawyer and then pursued a path of public service. After working on other people's campaigns for nearly 10 years, she finally found the confidence to run for Congress herself in 2006 as an underdog, as a Democrat in a Republican district, and she won. Today, she's running for the presidency of the United States, and she has some sweeping ideas about the kind of reform she wants to propose. That includes protecting abortion rights, passing legislation that protects families, and combating the outsized influence of big money in politics. Here is a little bit of what Senator Gillibrand had to say about asking people for money. 
So I tell those first-time candidates and for all your small business owners who are listening, you just have to tell people why you care and what the money's for. Because it's not really for you. It's for the cause you're trying to achieve. Welcome to Girl Boss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women, exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. During my chat with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, we spoke about how she got the courage to run for office and how Hillary Clinton inspired her in more ways than one. We also talk about the details of her policy proposals, like the clean elections plan to get money out of politics, and so much more. Here's our conversation. Senator Gillibrand, thank you so much for joining us on Girl Boss Radio today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited to be on your show. In my research prepping for this, I learned two highly useful facts that we share in common. The first being that we share a birthday, December 9th. Wow. And the second, that we were both Kappas in college. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's fabulous. So I I have no doubt that this is going to be a great interview. Thank you. But I actually want to start a little bit earlier, even before college. And I want to talk about your family for a second, because you come from two parents who are lawyers, and your grandmother was sort of iconic in Albany politics. Is there any part of this path that you've chosen that felt preordained because of where you came from? Well, my grandmother was definitely a role model. And growing up, she was certainly larger than life. And I loved how confident she was and how much she thought public service was important and that politics was a way to be heard and to make sure your values were being represented. And so she really left a legacy in me as someone who really believes in the grassroots and believes in women's voices. Is there a piece of advice that she sort of passed on about her work as a civil servant that has really resonated with you? So most of the advice passed down from my mother and my grandmother was just by watching them. And so what I learned from my grandmother is that your voice does matter and that women's voices matter. And it doesn't matter if you want to do something that no one else has done before because no one did what she had done. No one – women weren't involved in politics and they certainly had no power. And she just knew that if she organized women and got a whole generation of women to care about politics that they could amplify their voices. When I decided to run for Congress in 2005, uh, the legacy my grandmother left me was just I wasn't afraid. I was I was absolutely unafraid uh, because she had done so many things as firsts that I didn't mind running when no one else had run and won in that district, you know, in 40 years. And so I had confidence because she did things no one else did either. That's a really wonderful source of confidence. What was the first sort of lure into a life of politics after sort of that example that your grandmother had set? Because you started out, you went to law school at UCLA here in California, and then you worked in corporate law firms. Making that shift from corporate law into politics, how did you make that leap? Well, one thing was a a aha moment for me 
was when I was a young lawyer in New York City, and uh, I remember watching Hillary Clinton go to China and give her big speech about women's rights or human rights and human rights or women's rights. And I was so moved by what she did and so inspired. It just made me wonder, why wasn't I at that conference? And I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't there because I wasn't involved in politics as an adult. And so that was my aha moment to get off the sidelines and to get involved in politics. And so from that moment on, I just got more and more involved in working on people's campaigns, uh, helping candidates for governor and Senate and president, uh, and even local office. I helped a local state Senate race um, as one of my first races. And the more I got involved, the more I was excited about it and the more I decided I really needed to do public service as my job. Uh, and I really sought to get out of the big law firm and find that that path. Um, and I eventually did, and I uh, winded up running for office in 2005. What was the first step you took? You sort of, I mean, I guess the first step is saying, aha, I want to make that leap. I'm going to do this. So I called a friend. I called a friend who was involved in politics and specifically her mother. And her mother said, oh, join this new women's group in New York City. It's called the Women's Leadership Forum. And it was just an arm of the Democratic National Committee. But it was a bunch of women who were committed to electing Democrats who shared their values. And so she said, join that group. I said, okay. So I called up the lady in charge of the group and said, I want to join. And she said, well, you just have to write a check for $1,000. And I thought, oh my goodness, that is a lot of money. That was my rent check back then. And so I didn't know what to do, but I decided because it was the only advice I'd been given that it made sense. And so I wrote the check. And the first big meeting I went to was at a fancy club called the River Club in New York City. And Hillary Clinton was the speaker. And she was giving this great speech about why being involved in politics matters. And I remember standing at the back of the room and she said these words. She said, decisions are being made every day in Washington. And if you're not part of those decisions and you don't like what they decide, you have no one to blame but yourself. And for whatever reason, I felt she was talking directly to me. So I started to sweat and began to think, oh, no, she's asking me to run for office, and I'm not ready. And so I started to sweat, and I started getting anxious and thought, I need to, oh, I don't know, get involved. And so I started working on campaigns, and over 10 years, I eventually developed the confidence to run myself. Oh, wow. That was a 10-year process. 10 years. Well, you know, young women, oftentimes we're our own worst enemies and we doubt ourselves. And I had to get to the point where I knew that I was tough enough, smart enough, capable enough to run. You know, some of our male colleagues, they're born, you know, knowing they can be president or anything else for that matter. Um, but women, sometimes our crisis of confidence comes first from ourselves. And I was no different than anybody else. And so it took me a full 10 years of helping other people get elected before I felt confident that I could run and win. And then when I did run, it was in my home district of upstate New York, which actually happened to be a two-to-one Republican district. So my chances of winning were very small, but I still won. I still can't believe that when I think back about that race. But it was an interesting race because my opponent, which is one of the reasons why I'm going to beat President Trump, is my opponent never took me seriously. And he tried to demean me and dismiss me. He said things like, she's just another pretty face. And I, of course, said thank you. But then I talked about what I was for and why I thought our troops needed to get out of Iraq and why that was not a strategy to defeat terrorism. And I talked about why healthcare should be a right and not a privilege. It actually ran on Medicare for All. 
as a buy-in. So people could buy in at 4 or 5% of their income to create competition with the private insurers to offer at least one not-for-profit public option. And so even though it was a very Republican district, I ran on pretty progressive issues, and I still won. I, I want to actually take a step back to those that 10-year period because – that's such a real thing, that idea of, you know, what you were doing really was like doing diligence on the job and saying, I'm learning everything about doing yes. this work from the periphery. Yes. But there is another piece that's like, how do you cultivate that confidence in yourself? Because there has to be some moment where you've done enough diligence and you say, all right, I've got this. Yeah. I'm going to go win something. Yeah. So uh, it helps having role models. Um, during that 10-year period, Hillary Clinton decided to run for Senate. I got to watch her. I'd go to her events. I'd listen to her stump speeches. I'd listen to the answers to the questions she was asked. And the more campaigns I got involved in, the more I could start imagining, oh, I could have answered that question. Oh, I see how she handled that. Oh, I think I could do it this way. And so you begin to see yourself doing the job. That's why role models, as you know, a lot of women know, are so important for our career paths. To If we can see somebody do it, it's less intimidating. It's less frightening. Uh, it's also why mentors and sponsors matter so much, because when you can have someone who's giving you advice when you need it, someone who you know maybe gives you a, a hand up, it really makes a difference. And I think for women, we do particularly well when we have a sponsor or at least a mentor to help us navigate our career choices. I mean, you actually worked on Hillary's Senate campaign as well, right? I did. And she's been a supporter of yours. What are the things that you've learned from her, both good and bad, right? What are the things that you've learned that you want to emulate and the things that you maybe saw that didn't work for her campaign, particularly as you think about your bid for the presidency, that you're like, okay, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, so much of that is about what do you take and what do you not take? Yeah. So I do think uh, all of us who are running, particularly the women candidates, are standing on Hillary's shoulders right now. You know, she did achieve 65 million cracks in the highest and hardest glass ceiling, and she actually won the popular vote. So she did a lot right. I mean, to win the popular vote by 3 million votes just shows she ran a strong campaign and uh, she certainly, in my opinion, was the most qualified, capable person ever to run for president ever. So I loved, you know, what she put out there in terms of herself and uh, how much confidence she had and how much she believed in herself and always had a strong vision for America. And so uh, that has given me confidence to know that I also have a strong vision for America uh, and I want to have health care as a right, not a privilege. I want to fix our public schools. I want to have debt-free college. I know how to get to a stronger economy and better job training to deal with underemployment and to support our unions and support workers. So I have a lot of um, strength in my vision. But I also have the benefit of 10 years working in the Senate of actually getting things done. I've been able to pass dozens of pieces of legislation over my 10 years, even 18 bills in the last Congress with the Republican House, Senate, and President signing. I don't think President Trump knows he signed 18 of my bills, but he certainly did. And so I really have the experience now and the confidence that I can actually bring the country back together. I truly believe that we need a president who can heal this divide President Trump's created. He's divided us on every racial, religious, socioeconomic line, and he's really... I think, undermine the moral fabric of our country. And that needs to be healed. And I have a vision and experience to do that because n not only do I pass bills in a bipartisan basis all the time, big bills like Don't Ask, Don't Tell, Repeal, and the 9-11 Health Bill, 
Um, but I also bring people together electorally. As a senator, I've run three elections in New York in 2010, 12, and 18. And in all of them, um, I brought the state together more. And I have the highest vote threshold in the history of the state at 72%. And that's higher than President Obama ever got. Even Hillary, literally anyone who's run for Senate or governor, that's a higher vote percentage. And so I know I can win places like Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin because they're so similar to upstate New York and the suburbs uh, around New York, the red places and purple places that will need to be won in the general election. We'll get back to Kirsten in just a second. But first, a little bit about Fleur. One of my favorite summer memories is hanging out on the West Side Highway with a couple of lawn chairs and beach blankets and just spending the day napping and reading with my friends. And it's interesting because scent is so closely linked to memory. Every time I smell that scent of wet grass and just cotton outdoors, I am reminded of those days. And one of my favorite scents from Fleur, called Olmsted and Vaux, definitely evokes exactly that memory. And it's so special and it makes me feel like I'm right there in the summer again. Fleur makes great smelling, clean, and sustainable fragrances. And unlike other companies, they're transparent and disclose every ingredient and why it's in there. Every Fleur scent is for anyone, and all that matters is what you like, so you can choose a scent that feels really customized to your needs. Make new scent memories with Fleur. Go to Fleur.com today and use promo code GIRLBOSS to get 20% off your first custom Fleur sample set. Pick three scents to try and get credits toward a full-size bottle of your favorite. That's promo code GIRLBOSS at Fleur.com to get your first three Fleur fragrance samples at 20% off. P-H-L-U-R.com. Now back to my conversation with Senator Gillibrand. Speaking of some of those red and purple places, there was a story in the New York Times this weekend about, you know, a small town in... Ohio, where, you know, they hadn't gone Republican since 1972. They voted for Obama, and then they voted for Trump this past go-around because it's an auto plant town, and the auto plant just closed this past year. And those people are now looking around, and they're saying, I don't know what to do. I don't feel like the old way was working. I don't feel like this new way is working. I don't know what the way forward is. What is your recommendation for the way forward? How would you, as president, help those people and connect with those people? Yeah. So the most important thing is people want to earn a living. They want to uh, protect and provide for their family. Everyone loves their kids. And so you need to take on the special interests in Washington that make a strong economy impossible. Every time we want to do something like healthcare is a right, not a privilege, it's the insurance companies or the drug companies that are standing in the way. Uh, when you want to have um, a Green New Deal and clean air and clean water, it's the polluters, uh, fossil fuel industry that stands in the way. And so there's this corruption and greed that's pervasive in Washington that goes to the root of all the problems. And so most people feel very left behind and feel like both Democrats and Republicans are beholden to these special interests. So the first thing you need to do is take on the special interests. And I'm actually fighting for publicly funded elections. So getting the money out of politics as your first step. 
restoring voting rights as your second step, and then returning the power of our democracy into the hands of the people, showing up, going to town halls in all the states, meeting with people in every district. But in terms of the economy specifically, the most important thing we have to do is start rewarding work again, which means a couple of things to me. It means a living wage, uh, making sure we start at 15 and index it to inflation. It means supporting our unions, uh, supporting the right to organize, to collectively bargain, supporting card checks so it's easier to unionize, uh, and fighting against right-to-work states that are making it harder to organize. And then third, really drill down on uh, training, job training. And so I have an ambition of full employment uh, to actually tackle underemployment and unemployment through job training using the community colleges, the state schools, the not-for-profits, and the apprenticeship programs that exist that are already doing pipeline training uh, right into jobs that are available in the industries that somebody wants it and also in the region they want to work. So I would fund that. I would make it a presidential priority to fund guaranteed job training for jobs for anyone who feels underemployed or unemployed and then make sure that training is linked directly to jobs available in industries. Now, let's take a tough issue like manufacturers of cars, the example you give from Ohio. So I think we have to really take on China. We have to have uh, no bad trade deals. I think it's really important to have tariffs when necessary, but to use them appropriately. I think what President Trump has done is created a trade war. He promised no bad trade deals, but what he's actually done is created a very disruptive trade war. And so the price of steel has gone through the roof. So a manufacturer where steel is an input like auto manufacturing, um, they might not be able to actually produce those cars at an affordable price to sell it at an affordable rate. Uh, I also would really punish companies that outsource. I have a bill, the End Outsourcing Act, that basically takes away all the tax advantages that a company would have if they sent jobs overseas. Because right now in the tax code, you can send jobs overseas and then get a deduction for the moving costs. That's absurd. I would take that away. And I would make sure that we incentivize companies to keep jobs here. Uh, in terms of the auto industry, I think it's really important from a national security perspective that we build cars here because a lot of the base for military um, transportation vehicles is in the auto manufacturing industry. So you don't want to have to buy your trucks and uh, base your military development on industries and technologies that are based outside the U.S. It's a national security issue. So I would be investing as president into that industry to keep those jobs and really punishing the companies that go overseas. The one thing President Trump's unwilling to do is to stand up to the banks, his bankers. Like He's unwilling to stand up to Wall Street. He's unwilling to stand up to the wealthy and the political elite. His tax cut I mean, it was a giveaway to the wealthiest Americans, and it barely helped the middle class. So I would unwind those tax cuts and leave in place the middle class ones and then build on those. But I would start by rewarding work and really focus on keeping American manufacturing, keeping made in America in America. A lot of the things that you're talking about cost money. Um, and I think some you're, you're alluding to some of this with how you're talking about Wall Street. But where does that money come from? couple places. So the first is uh, the $1.5 trillion of tax cuts. Uh, probably only a few hundred billion at max go to the middle class. So you're going to at least 
claw back about a trillion of that. So that's money you can invest in job training. Um, I would also do a transaction tax, and there's only two Democrats running for president that support that. And uh, it's pennies on the dollar, pennies. And it's such a small amount of money, but it raises a great deal of revenue, about $77 billion a year. So I would do that um, as a way to invest in job training and rewarding work. I want to talk a little bit about your sort of process so far and what it's like to run for president. Do you ever sort of go to bed at night and think to yourself, this is surreal. I'm running for president. Or are you so in it? (laughs) I do. And I feel very blessed and very grateful that I have the opportunity to do so. Um, And I do thank my mother and my grandmother for giving me courage and giving me that never give upness and that determination to do what's right, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. And so that's what, for me, I feel very called to this moment to fight against what President Trump's created, this division, this hate, this this darkness that he spread across the country, um, fear, fear and anxiety, fear of immigrants, fear of refugees, fear of neighbors. He wants to build a wall. He wants to divide us. And the American people are struggling. I got to tell you, there's a lot of families that are desperate and can't make ends meet and can't provide for their kids or protect their kids. You know, a similar story, I think it was a continuation of the one you read this weekend about a worker from one of the plants um, in Ohio, one of the car manufacturers, about how he didn't know what kind of man he would be if he couldn't provide for his family. And he didn't know if he should wait to see if the jobs definitely are going overseas and whether he could wait six more months to see if that job would still be available to him. And that that breaks my heart. So I'm running because I know I can take on the special interests that are making these jobs disappear. I can take on the industries that do not want to help regular people, whether it's the insurance industry or whether it's the polluters or the drug industry, because I've done it before. I stand up and I do things that others don't. I take on the fights that other people won't. And I think this country deserves a president who's brave and one who will go through fire to do what's right. Um, And that's my story. I mean, I took on the Pentagon twice. I've taken on the banks. I've taken on Congress. Uh, all to do what's right, and I will do what's necessary to make sure we stop uh, hemorrhaging jobs overseas and to make sure that our economy actually works for workers. So one of the special interests that I think is probably the most hot button, or certainly one of the most hot button these days, is the NRA. And you went from an A rating from those guys to an A big F. fat F. <laughs> Ten years ago, I did. Yes, what I did. was... The, so I, I have, actually have a couple of questions about that, but I think first I'd love to just understand, like, was there an aha moment there where you were like, you talked to someone, you learned something, and you're like, I have, something's got to change? Yeah, it was very clear. When I was a House member, I was uh, in representing a largely rural district where hunting was important, and we didn't have the scourge of gun violence like a lot of places around the state or the country have. And so I just kind of focused only on the concerns and the priorities that were most important for me to accomplish. And so I didn't lead on the issue. I should have. And I still think I could have gotten elected even if I did. So I should have been um, stronger. But as soon as I became senator 10 years ago, I started visiting all the communities around the state. And one, the first trip I took down to Brooklyn was to meet with a family who lost their daughter to gun violence. Her name was Niaja Pryor Yard. And I met her parents and her classmates, and all of them were so devastated because this young teenager 
in the prime of her life, got hit by a stray bullet and died. And they were still struggling to overcome it. And I knew immediately that I would make sure she did not die in vain. And so the first piece of legislation I wrote was an anti-trafficking law, and I named it after um, Niasia in her honor. Um, but that bill deals with the fact that in a place like New York City or a place like Chicago, not 90% of the weapons come from out of state, and most of them are illegal. And they go right from a truck, back of a truck, into a gang member's hands. No chance for a background check. No chance for any kind of intervention. And so I wrote that bill. And last time we had a vote on it, we got 58 votes. So I'm very close to passing it. I support universal background checks. I support banning bump stocks, large magazines, and military-style assault weapons. And I've been working on common sense gun reform for the last decade. And I will get it done as president of the United States because the truth is to get it done, you got to take on the NRA. And the NRA is entirely motivated by the greed and corruption of the gun manufacturers, that it's more important to them to sell a weapon than to have a universal background check or um, to sell a weapon to somebody on the terror watch list than be to a universal background check denying them. Or the NRA opposes the Violence Against Women's Act because they want to make sure they can sell that weapon to any person who has a, a criminal conviction for violent uh, crimes or who has a restraining order against them. Like, it's just very disturbing. And so you need to go after the root of the corruption, and that's the greed that dominates the gun manufacturers and the NRA. Something that I was really stricken by in hearing you talk about this issue in the past is that you did look backward and you used the words, I was ashamed when you talk about sort of some of your previous positions. And that I thought was so profound because you almost never hear politicians use words like that. There's a level of vulnerability there that feels really rare. Yeah. I think, you know, you need humility to be able to develop wisdom. And wisdom is something you can develop over time uh, if you listen, if you learn. And I think, you know, for America, it is far better to have an elected leader who will admit when they're wrong and learn and grow than someone who never admits they're wrong like President Trump. Um, he would never say he got something wrong or that he needed to learn something. And that makes him a weak leader. It actually makes him someone who lacks wisdom. So I think humility is necessary. It allows you to serve others first before yourself, and it allows you to develop wisdom. And I think it's really important for our next president to have. I love that so much. But at the same time, I mean, on a human level, that speaks to me and it feels exactly right. And of course, that's how it should work. But there is this other sort of like part of this voice in my head that says, oh, but Democrats are always apologizing. And it doesn't feel like President Trump doesn't apologize for anything. And it kind of feels like he's Teflon as a result of it. Is there any part of you that worries that leading with humility, that leading with doing what you believe is the right thing is potentially going to be politically damaging? No, I think President Trump is a leader who's damaged our moral fiber as a country. I think he's damaged our character as a country. He refuses to lead on the world stage. He walks away from the Paris Global Climate Accords, is now is doing anti-science in his administration. He's someone who um, wants to breed fear and division. And one of the reasons why I'm running for president is because I know how morally wrong that is. And I will go through fire to do what's right, and I will 
um, stand up to him. I'm the senator who's voted against him the most of any other candidate for president. Uh, I've stood up to him and I've stood up to other special interests. I've stood up to my own party when they're wrong. And so we need a president who's brave, who will do what's right, and who will recognize that just because he has an advantage, because he's lying all the time, I don't want that advantage. It is not It is not necessary, and I think the American people are smart, and they will see through it. They're already seeing it. The fact that we just flipped the House of Representatives because 120 bold women ran for Congress and won, uh, the most diverse class ever, the youngest class ever, the first two Muslim American women, the first two Native American women, lots of women of color who come from very different backgrounds. And the reason they won is because they were passionate, they believed to their core, they were doing something important that's right, and they inspired the voters. And so I think inspiration is such a more powerful thing than fear. And I will be the inspirational president, not one who rules by fear. We'll get back to my conversation with Senator Gillibrand in just a minute. But first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about ZipRecruiter. We all know that ZipRecruiter is an amazing resource for finding the ideal candidate for any job you're trying to fill. But what I recently learned, which kind of blew me away, is that it's actually a really great place to find your next move as well when you're on the job search. Think about it this way. What if you had your own personal recruiter to help you find a better job in those moments where you're like, uh, I don't know, I think I need to move on. Now, ZipRecruiter's technology can help you do exactly that. Just download the ZipRecruiter job search app, let it know what kinds of jobs you're interested in, and its technology starts doing the work for you. The ZipRecruiter app finds jobs that you're gonna like, and it puts your profile in front of employers who may be looking for someone exactly like you. If an employer likes your profile, ZipRecruiter lets you know. So if you're interested in the job, then you can apply after already having a sense that they're interested in you. You guys should all download the free ZipRecruiter job search app today and let the power of technology work for you. Don't wait. The sooner you download the free ZipRecruiter job search app, the sooner it can help you find a better job. And now back to my conversation with Kirsten. So I was reading this um, just this weekend, I think, about sort of there's the Washington Post piece um, that, you know, dissects your campaign and thinks about what, you know, potentially is the biggest challenge for you. And their takeaway was your biggest issue is visibility. Do you agree with that? How do you think about the strategy of the campaign? So I know that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And if you look at all the past elections of Democrats, the last several ones, the front runner was not ahead. The front runner today was not the one who won. So there's lots of opportunity to grow support over the next several months. And so that's why I'm taking this campaign directly to voters. Um, I was just in Iowa. It was my fifth trip. Uh, it brought my son Henry and my husband Jonathan. They went RV shopping. We're going to have an RV in Iowa. We're going to go at least three weeks this summer. It's going to be a blast. Um, and I know that I can persuade voters just one-on-one because that's how I won all my electoral victories in New York. And it's why I outperformed anyone ever historically because I spend more time in all places, the red places, the purple places, and the blue places because I talk to everybody. And you need to listen to everyone and you need to find common ground and find solutions. And that type of 
of public service is actually what the country desperately needs. And so I'm restoring that democracy right into the hands of the people. And I know the people are smart. So I've got time. And so my job is to just be campaigning, talking to people about what I care about. The fact that you've let me come on this podcast is a total blessing because I can talk to your thousands and thousands of listeners about their voices and why their voice matters and asking them to get involved in my campaign and go to kirstengillibrand.com and support me because the truth is um, my voice is their voice. And if they want my voice on the debate stage, I still need to earn my way there and their support allows me to get there. So I'm just going to keep asking for help from people who are like-minded and I think good things will happen. So that's a great segue into something I wanted to touch on, which is there's like a funny rule about getting on the debate stage. It's you have to have a certain number of donors in order to yeah. qualify, right? 65,000? Yeah. You can, I'm qualified by polling. So out of 22, 23 candidates, I'm around number 10 in the polling. So I'm doing fine. But if 20 candidates qualify by polling, then they go to the next test, which is the 65,000. So to guarantee my spot on that debate stage, I need 65,000 and we still have a little more to go. So having your listeners even send a dollar makes a big difference. And I want to ask about that sort of concept of fundraising because, you know, unless you're raising money from venture capital, you're basically asking people who probably don't have that much money to fund your president to your campaign for the presidency to fund your business to fund whatever it is i think that there are a lot of women who go out into the world and who are listening to this show who need to raise money how do you think about that process how do you think about the right way or sort of the most effective way to ask people to donate so uh, I help a lot of first-time candidates. Um, I started off the sidelines, which was a call to action to ask America's women, number one, to vote, number two, to become advocates, number three, to run, and then if you weren't prepared to run, to help a woman who was running, who shared your values. And so I tell those first-time candidates, and for all your small business owners who are listening, you just have to tell people why you care and what the money's for. Because it's not really for you. It's for the cause you're trying to achieve. So when I'm talking to a candidate, I say, it's not about you. You, you're the one who wants to have national paid leave. So ask the money so that you can accomplish national paid leave. And then it opens up a door for that woman because then she realizes, yeah, I do care about that cause and that is why I'm running and I can ask for that. So I would say that to your small business owners. You know, you're trying to accomplish something. You're trying to sell an idea, sell a service. Um, you're trying to broaden a conversation. That's valuable to you. And there's a reason why you want to do it. So you're asking for investment because of that. Not about you, more about your idea. Um, but I'd say another thing on the campaign side, um, one of the reasons why I want to run for president is I want to actually have publicly funded elections. I think the quickest way to get um, the greed and corruption out of politics is to get the money out. And so I, I uh, introduced a bill that um, – the first presidential candidate to do a publicly funded elections bill, which is to give democracy dollars to anyone who wants to participate. And so if I'm a candidate for president and I agree to have publicly funded elections, I can then go to every person I meet and say, will you give me your democracy dollars? Because every person gets $200 to spend on any campaign they want. They can have 200 for a presidential candidate, they can have 200 for a Senate candidate, and 200 for a congressional candidates. And so it just democratizes democracy. 
And it allows women who often have less money, who often are lower income, changes the players list. It changes who has a voice in our democracy. So instead of the Koch brothers having this outsized influence where they can spend $300 million every campaign uh, with unlimited TV ads, it gives them resources and the power to the people. And so I'll be going to every community in my state if I'm running for Senate to ask for support, not just the elite of the elite. So it changes who you talk to, it changes who has a voice. And they did it in Seattle, and it totally transformed who invested in a, in a campaign. Instead of 0.5% of Americans, it was democratized, and it was a lot more people got involved in different demographics, more women, more people of color, more low-income people. It's like a pre-election election, really. Yeah, it's fabulous. And so I love this idea. And it would go a long way to restoring our democracy into the hands of the people. We'll get back to my conversation with Senator Gillibrand in just a moment. First, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Sakara. One of my big goals for this year was to become a person who eats breakfast consistently every day, high protein, something that really starts my day right. And something that's been really helpful with that has been ordering Sakara. Sakara makes organic, ready-to-eat meals with nutritious and delicious plant-based ingredients that are designed to help you look and feel like your best self. For me, that's amazing because I'm a vegetarian and because I'm a little bit lazy. So I love that Sakara has these meal programs for breakfast, lunch, and dinner that are delivered right to my door, ready to eat, and they go anywhere in the U.S. Their meals are specifically designed to enhance your energy, which is something that's a high priority for me. They also improve digestion and help with any of your sort of diet and nutrition goals. And the menu of chef-created dishes changes weekly, so you never get bored. You never feel like, oh, I've tried this. I don't want to do it again. Plus, you get probiotics and teas and support from a certified health coach to help you stay on your nutritional plan. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners $60 off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash girlboss. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash girlboss to get $60 off your first order. Sakara.com slash girlboss. Let's get back to my conversation with Senator Gillibrand now. I want to ask a little bit about abortion, because obviously we're talking about that a lot of late. And I think that, you know, for me on a personal level, when I read about heartbeat bills or the abortion ban in Alabama, and you hear about the architect of that bill saying things like, you know, removing rape and incest exceptions being about, well, if you're not going to go all the way, what's the point, right? Like at that point, they're not talking about human life. They're talking about something that doesn't touch a person. And that feels personally demoralizing. Yeah. And I'm just curious, I know you've been really vocal about abortion and about sort of a woman's right to choose. And you have really a whole sort of suite of policy proposals around it. But on a personal level, how do you sort of face that? Yeah, so I see it as a broad-based, all-out attack on women's human rights. 
Because to be able to have autonomy over your body, to be able to have agency over your body and your health and your physical nature is a basic human right. And they're trying to undermine those rights by criminalizing medical decisions, criminalizing medical care, uh, and trying to uh, take away women's basic civil rights to make their decisions about their bodies. Women should be able to decide when they're having children, how many children they're having, under what circumstances they're having children. And under the Alabama law and the Georgia law, and 30 states have tried to do laws banning abortion or undermining abortion. And it's an all-out attack on women. So I think if this is a fight that President Trump wants to have with America's women, it's a fight he will have, and it's a fight he's going to lose because women are not going to stand for this. We just flipped the House because we were angry enough to get out to vote and run for office. If he tries to take away our basic reproductive freedom, he will lose the presidency as well. And then, I mean, to follow on to that, today there was the Supreme Court ruling that came down on Box versus Planned Parenthood, and there was a particularly challenging opinion that came from um, Justice Clarence Thomas, where he basically was uh, suggesting that abortion is a tool of racial eugenics. And that feels terrifying. What do you say to people like that? Or do you even engage? I don't even know what he means. What did, his, what did he say? The law was banning abortion if you were choosing to abort based on sex, disability, any other sort of, sort of choice-based. Yes, I see it. Uh, Supreme Court on Tuesday blocked an Indiana law barring abortions based on a fetus's sex, race, or disability. It's unbelievable. It's just a constant attack. They're just trying to get to a place where they can overturn Roe v. Wade. And they're doing it very intentionally. President Trump tr promised he'd do it uh, when he issued his 20 justices he might appoint that were uh, okayed and researched by conservative think tanks. Um, he was signaling my intention is to overturn Roe v. Wade. And that's what Pence wants to do. And it's what all these, um, the Alabama law and the author of the law says our intention is to overturn Roe v. Wade. And what's really outrageous is that both Kavanaugh and Gorsuch promised that they would not overturn precedent or settled law. So I think we know they were lying now. We kind of knew it then. Yeah. yeah. So it's disturbing, but it's something that I think we're going to have to fight back. So I hope that every woman and man who loves her who's listening to this knows that your decision uh, to get involved now could not be more timely because we need to make sure President Trump is not reelected and we need to flip the Senate and keep the House flipped. So getting involved in local races is so important and picking candidates, even your top three for president is worth doing because you want a candidate who shares your values from the core. Absolutely. Um, my last question for you is something that we love talking about at Girl Boss, which is just your personal definition of success. So in your skin, where you sit today, what does success mean to you? Success means that on the day I die, I will look back at my life and know that I helped people and know that I used all the talents that God gave me for the greater good. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Senator Gillibrand. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Girl Boss Radio. And a big thank you to Senator Kirsten Gillibrand for joining us for this special conversation. 
Before you go though, just a reminder that we always want to reach as many listeners as possible. And one of the easiest ways you can help us do that is by leaving a review for the show or rating us wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other listeners discover us. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, send us an email at podcasts at girlboss.com. We love hearing your thoughts in the show. That's it for now. Bye.